0: Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights
1: with your hosts, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. And we are continuing our series on wine influencers. And today we're joined by a guest, Nicole Muscari, also known as Grape Chic. Welcome to the show.
2: Yay. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I was wondering if you could give us a little bit about your background. Obviously, we've interacted a little bit on Instagram. And I know from Instagram Reels that you're a former dancer, and I know you're in fashion. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit how you got into wine, and what's your background?
2: Yeah, so my background is very interesting and very untraditional. So I actually grew up dancing since I was three years old, and I went to college for dance. So I have a BFA in dance and from there, after I graduated, I got my first job on board a Carnival cruise line. So I basically danced on the cruise ships. I did Carnival and Princess cruises. I did that for about three and a half years, and then from there, I got a job dancing at Walt Disney World, which was really fun. So I was dancing on the Castle stage and in the Christmas show. And
1: did you get to be a princess?
2: So I was not a princess. Oh. Uh, I know. Well, that was like life goals. I know. <laughs> After Disney World, I went Disney Live on tour. Also, still was not a princess. However, I was an understudy for Princess Jasmine, but I never went in.
0: I was gonna say, of all of them, Jasmine with your looks make makes sense.
2: I know. I was really bummed and I would go to the face auditions all the time and be like, please make me Jasmine. Like I have been obsessed with her since I was three. And well, actually, no. 11 because she wasn't around when I was three. But, anyways, so I was just kind of like a general performer, you would say, for Disney. So I did that. So, all in all, I was basically on the road for six years and it's exhausting. And, you know, my body was hurting, it was snap and crackling. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and I was like, hey, I'm in my late 20s at this point. And I was like, I need to figure out what the rest of my life is going to be. So, You know, of course, there's always like a man in this. So that's where enter my husband now. But I met him while I was actually on the road. And I came to New York because that's where he was living. I decided that I was going to stay in New York and stop traveling. And I really wanted to keep dancing. But it just I didn't have the hustle left in me. And when you move to New York and you want to try and make it in New York as a dancer, like you have to be hungry. And if you're not hungry, you are going to fail. And I was not hungry anymore. I was tired. So I decided, you know, I was like, well, what else am I going to do? My husband has worked in fashion pretty much his whole life. He went to FIT and he did all of that. So that was really where he was. And I said, you know, I love fashion. I love, you know, designer shoes and all that really obsessed with shoes and bags. And so he was like, listen, you know, you got to start somewhere, like start on the retail floor, which is what I did. So my first gig in fashion was in sales for Montclair. You know, those great puffy jackets. Fabulous.
0: No, but okay.
2: You don't know Montclair jackets?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Come on, know Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I know okay. what
1: you're talking about.
2: Okay. Okay. So <laughs> I started there. I ended up working my way up the corporate ladder and I ended up in you know, the wholesale side of it, the the corporate side of it, which was great. The whole time I was working in fashion, although it was very fulfilling in some ways, there's always that part of you that's missing when you're no longer pursuing your passions, which really started off was dance. Like that was my whole life. And so there's really that like little bit in your soul that can't be filled by any material possessions or career. And no matter how much you work your way up the ladder, it's like there's still something missing. And, you know, in 2014, we went to Napa Valley for the first time. And I was really blown away. First of all, it was during harvest. So like way to go on a first official wine trip, you know, during harvest, which was fantastic. But you know, getting to know the winemakers, hearing the stories, watching the whole process during harvest. I watched it and I listened and I was like, wow, this is really similar to dance as far as the artistry, the choreography, telling a story. And I was really starting to put these pieces together. And I was like, wow, there's a lot more to wine than, you know, the crap that I was buying at the grocery store. So I came back to New York and, you know, there's really no better place in the world to discover wine than New York City. I mean, I personally feel that. And so I just started going into my local wine shops and asking questions. And then from there it was over. I was like, that wine has totally filled that void that I felt from no longer dancing. So it's quite special to me.
0: Was there a winery in Napa from that trip that stood out? The experience stood out or the story?
2: Yeah. So, and they've come under some controversy as of late, but Quintessa Winery was really mm. the winery, the property we were really taken care of. We had a private tasting and it just, the whole experience was very personal. We actually, that was the one wine club that we did join and that we are still part of. So quite mm. a good Quintessa collection.
1: Nice. So- Pretty darn good wines. <laughs> so, yeah, let's uh, be honest. <laughs> I have a
0: few in my cellar too. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're
2: yeah. excellent. They're excellent.
0: When you came back, you co-founded a tasting club, the Chelsea Wine Society. What can you describe that for us?
2: Yeah. So it was the London Wine Girl, Charlotte from the London Wine Girl. She actually was in New York. Her husband was here on a visa, and she couldn't work because she was here with him. So she decided, you know, she was going to do the WSET three while she was in New York, and She basically reached out to a bunch of other Instagrammers in New York and was like, Hey, Chapel Down, the English sparkling winery, is coming to New York for a tasting. I know the people. I'd love to bring you guys and meet up at this tasting. So a bunch of us all show up. No one has met each other at all, but we're all like, hey, I know you from Instagram. Oh, you're wine bar chronicles. Oh, you're this person. And the real house wine was there. It was, it was amazing. And we were all talking about the WSET. And, you know, some of us were about to sign up for the next level. Some of us were already enrolled in a level. And we said, you know, we should really get together weekly and study and like taste and go through a region. One person picks a region and they lead and they prepare all the materials. So we started that way. We started meeting once a week. And like I said, one person would pick a region, they'd print out maps and, and you know, all sorts of information. And then we'd all chip in, you know, a couple of bucks and and we'd get some wines. And it was really really fantastic and you know, we were posting about it and it was it was really helpful as well. And then over time we started getting a whole bunch of people interested in doing this with us. And then as that started evolving, wineries were actually like, "Hey, taste our wines like can your group taste our wines and it kind of became like this really cool little tasting club here Uh, we call ourselves the chelsea wine society because we were tasting at our friend's, the London Wine Girl at the time was staying in a really beautiful apartment and they had like an awesome rec room and it was right in the heart of Chelsea in New York. So that's where the name came from. We no longer have that space. And so obviously, and since COVID and everything, we have not gotten together or a tasting, but we make do. I had in my last job, like a beautiful showroom with a beautiful bar and it was a nice setup. And my boss would let me use it after hours to, to host our tastings. And sometimes if we were tasting with vineyard brands, a lot of their wines, they would bring us to their offices to taste. So we figured it out along the way, but I really miss it. Honestly, it was a great sense of community as well.
0: Aspirations for study groups. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Robert and I met each other and and know each other too, was doing the WCT diploma and also doing uh, study groups together, but we have not been as good about Making it known to people or having everyone do social media like you guys have.
2: Social media is great. Is it's a beast. I'll tell you that. I mean, it's crazy. You just get a couple of people with some followings, you know, post up like, hey, look at what we're doing. And then, you know, people want part of it.
1: You've then transitioned out of fashion and full time into wine. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yes. So I had mentioned before that wine kind of you know fulfilled that that spot that dance you know once held and to me it has always been you know since I found it has been a real true passion and you know I think anybody that has found a real true passion wants to pursue it all the time and so I had been becoming a little bit miserable in my current job. I had been there for five years you know I felt like I had kind of peaked there there was no more room for growth. I was just feeling really stagnant. But where I wasn't feeling stagnant was in wine because, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize that you, you have so much more to learn. It's like a never-ending tunnel. And so as I was going through, I finished the WSET three. You know, I enrolled in French Wine Scholar and all this stuff. I thought to myself, you know, I really want to make this transition. And I just didn't know how. And I didn't know where to start. I wasn't really interested in working in, you know, the service industry. I don't really have any experience there. How can I make my experience relevant for the wine world? So it was actually during quarantine where I was furloughed for a month and I really took the time and I feel like we're going to hear a lot more of these stories, but I really took the time in, in quarantine to like reevaluate my life. Like not just professionally, but like in all aspects of it, my friends, my, my everything. Like I wanted to really make my life, my life something I was happy and proud of. So I took that month to be like, well, A, I signed up for the French wine scholar because I was like, I need to do something. B, I was like, if there's any time to make a transition and to just dive and go for it, it's now because I have nothing to lose. Literally. So I was poking around on LinkedIn. I saw some things and I applied for a bunch of things, but I think everyone was applying for a bunch of things. And the wine industry is super competitive and everybody wants to live their passion. And so I wasn't hearing back from anything. And there was actually another girl on Instagram shout out to Claire from I Dream Ovino who reached out to me and said, Hey, Nicole. I'm not sure if you're looking for a job in wine, which that was the craziest line ever because I had been spending those weeks looking for a job in wine. She said, but my company is actually looking for a rep in the Northeast and preferably New York. So if you're interested, I'd be happy to submit your your resume over. And I was like, okay. So she sent me the LinkedIn post. Of course, I had seen the LinkedIn post before and it was for a company called Vivant which I had never really heard of before. So it was like kind of confused, but it sounded right up my alley. They were looking for people to host wine experiences digitally. They were looking for people that were not scared of a camera, but also had extensive sales background. And what I essentially did in fashion was sales, whether starting off in retail and then moving up to wholesale. So I said, wow, here is a perfect way for me to take my sales and my professional background and take my social media stuff and put it together and and be relevant for this job. So it ended up being for Chateau de Pomar. And I ended up getting the job and started in July. And so I basically do private client sales for the Chateau. And then also this fall, they'll be launching an interactive platform. It'll be like a members only wine experiences and wine tastings and all that stuff. So I'll be hosting experiences live on there as well. So I'm very excited.
1: Interesting. Well, congratulations on the move to uh, doing your passion full time.
2: Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm really excited. It's been going really well. You know, it's a remote position, so like I'll be remote. It's not just because of COVID, but the one thing I will say that is a bit of a challenge is I'm not able to obviously throw any like big events or tastings yet. So hopefully, you know, In the coming months, I mean, who knows what what will happen, but I'm looking forward to hosting some Burgundy tastings around the
0: Northeast. How will the platform work? It sounds like it's sort of like doing virtual tastings, but members only or something?
2: Yeah, so basically, like I said, it hasn't launched yet. But basically, you would pay a yearly membership fee to have access to the platform. And there'll be all sorts of live experiences about wines and regions from all over the world. So we'll be launching with Burgundy, Bordeaux and Loire, but then we'll also be going to Rhone and Champagne and then eventually New World. And so it won't be just Burgundy. So you're really kind of experiencing wines from all over. And so all of the wine advisors hosting the experiences have to have, you know, formal WSET training to be able to speak to wines from all over the world. And so, yeah, there'll be tastings. uh, So there'll be small tasting tubes that you'll get sent. And then there's also the option to
1: buy the full bottles. Let's switch into Instagram for a little bit. Your account, Grape Chic. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit, like when you started it, you're roughly 23, almost 24,000 followers. Let us know if you're on any other platforms besides Instagram.
2: Yeah. So I'm the worst. I really focus on Instagram. I do have Facebook. I have Grape Sheik on Facebook. I have Grape Sheik on Twitter, which I'm just lame because I really post to Instagram and I just click the, you know, send to Twitter mm-hmm. button. Yeah. So I don't actually really participate there. I like to live tweet about 90 Day Fiance on my personal Twitter account, but that's really about <laughs> it. And I have a Pinterest account also have never pinned. So. Really, it's Instagram. So I started that about three years ago. The first year, I grew like super rapidly, and you know, I I exceeded ten thousand in the first year, and then you know, it slowed down a little bit since then. I would say that I was probably part of the first wave of what you would call wine bloggers or wine influencers. I really hate the name influencer, but whatever it's it is what it is. I would say I'm probably from the first wave. There, you had Chell Loves Wine. You had, you know, the Real House Wine, Amanda, Syrah Queen. You know, there was a few people around back then. And then it got, you know, everyone jumped on, which which was great too. It creates more diversity and people are focusing on different things. But, you know, I really started it because, you know, when I was really getting into wine, I was like having friends reach out all the time and be like, you guys probably get this too, or someone just sends you a bottle of wine, like a picture. And they're like, is this good? And you're just like all the time. All the time. And that was happening. I to eat me. the
0: whole restaurant wine list.
1: Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> like tell what me what <laughs> I'm like,
0: okay, great. Thanks. And I'm at the restaurant right now. <laughs>
1: it's like Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like
2: my friends were doing that all the time. And so I started posting on my personal account, like a couple of bottles here and there. And I was getting like some really great like engagement and feedback. And I had like no followers. And so my friend was like, you should just start one of those pages where you just do wine. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started that. And, you know, originally I wasn't even in any of the pictures. And then it was a coworker that was like, hey, you know, you should put your face in your photos because I feel like people want to relate to somebody. They want to see who they're relating to. And so I started doing that. I noticed that the growth started really building up from there. And, you know, I think a lot of it is you got to follow people. If you want followers, you have to follow people. I think that's definitely helped me grow in that first year. I followed a ton of people. I was basically, you know, you follow somebody and they're like, oh, you might also like these accounts. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I followed a bunch of people, Um, you know, engagement. You have to engage with your community, finding your community via hashtags, finding your community via other bloggers and, you know, just making sure the engagement is there answering all of your comments, all of your DMs, like all of that stuff will really, really help grow your page. So yeah, I've, I've definitely had some really great partnerships that have come out of Grape GrapeChic. I've gotten to go on some really cool press trips. Super sad I wasn't able to go this year. But it's been a really, really awesome hobby and also a little bit of a side hustle. So.
0: Part of what we're trying to do is understand how wineries or retailers, wine brands work with influencers. How would you think about them interacting with influencers most effectively?
2: So I think that the number one mistake that wineries make with influencers is jumping in the DMs. I think a lot of people have like group chats and like weird DMs and like all sorts of stuff that gets like lost in the mix. Most bloggers will have their email right in the bio. And I think the best way for a winery to get in touch is through email and, you know, hi, this is who we are. We're interested in, in working with you and just kind of being upfront right in the beginning. Like, listen, if this is just one of those things where you want just to send me some wine, cool. But but you have to be like, if you're expecting me to post, then that's a whole other conversation. If you want to send me wine and say, we'd love to just send you some samples. You know, we hope you like them. Or if you feel like you want to post about them, you know, we'd love that, but you know, no worries. So like that kind of stuff is fine is I think transparency is key right off the bat. I think when a winery reaches out to me, I, I will automatically send them my media kit, which is kind of like, ways that we can collaborate and kind of what that looks like price-wise as well.
0: And what are the ways in the media kit that you collaborate with wineries?
2: Obviously, there's regular posts that live on the feed. And I always say like, with that post, I also include, you know, three to five stories that go along with it. So it kind of like comes together. I also will do, which I actually haven't really done a ton, of, cause I need to get better with my editing, but I'm also happy to do like an IGTV tasting. I'm also happy to do, which this came up a ton during quarantine now, which I've added live tastings on my media kit. So if you want me to talk about your wine live for 30 minutes, you know, it's this and yeah, so I'm, I'm really open. Also, I have a website. I have like another little package where I can do like a post and then also do a write up on the blog. So on grapecheek.com.
1: I'm curious on the posts that you've done. When you do a sponsored post or paid post, do you use the inpaid partnership or hashtag ad? And if so, have you seen a decrease in your engagement on those posts versus the ones that are organic?
2: Yeah. So that's a great question because I feel like this is a hot topic and I feel like it's different for everybody. I personally find that when I do put hashtag ad, that my reach is less than when I don't put hashtag ad. So I don't know if that's just me or if that's Instagram's way of saying like, you should be paying us to promote your posts. <laughs> and that, You know, cause it, at the end of the day, it's all about a business. However, you know, it it depends cause there, there have been a few times where like, if the picture is like really amazing, it doesn't matter at all. But I do think that, there have been times where that hashtag ad can work against you, in my personal opinion.
1: Have you dabbled in the using paid sponsorship or paid partnership? Because the advantage of that is that the brand can then boost the post and pump the marketing dollars into it versus you.
2: Yeah, so I have used that before too. I usually use hashtag ad and in paid partnership or I won't do hashtag ad and I'll just do the the partnership at the top, uh, which is what I usually do, I think. I do both. Honestly, I do both. I have noticed I did with Gerard Bertrand and I did notice that they were promoting it from their end. And I was on Facebook the other day and I was like, oh, there's me like coming up in things that may interest you or posts you may like. And then I had a friend that's like totally not even into wine, like snapshot the same thing with me on Gerard Bertrand. So she sent that to me. So brands do definitely use that content to help market further on their end.
0: And you mentioned you have a blog, and I think I've seen that you also write for a few other publications. How do you see the difference in marketing impact between print and social media, or even digital print?
2: That's a great question. So I think a lot of it has to do with SEO. um, And I think For example, I love contributing to the Vintner project because A, I really like what they're doing there and they cover really interesting topics, but also the Vintner project has excellent SEO. And so if you even search, I think the words like Sancerre by the glass, I wrote an article for them like over a year or two ago, and I was still coming up on like the first or second page, my article for them. So I don't know if it's still, I haven't checked in a while, but... It's really cool for me to kind of show that side of me as well. I mean, listen, it's really easy to go on Instagram and just double tap and like a photo. And so obviously engagement on Instagram, I don't want to say it's easier, but it's definitely you have a beautiful photo, someone likes it or they like the wine and they just have to double tap. And so I think you definitely do probably see more engagement on social media. But I think that if you have an article that you've written that comes up in the first few pages in a Google search, I mean, I think that in the long run, that's worth even more than an Instagram picture, because that will keep generating over time.
1: Yeah, that's the one problem with the Instagram post is that if, once it clears that like week or so, its virality has dropped significantly. Yeah,
2: it's it's almost like it dies after a while. It's like, How many people are really going to go to your page and like spend hours like swiping through your feed to find, you know, it's like, so if you can get a good SEO, if you can get an article that does well on Google, I mean, I think that's the key to, I mean, I don't know, I haven't written an article in a while. I've been quite lazy about that.
1: It's a different skill. I mean, writing versus the stuff on social media, it's like you're doing snackable content. So can you share a couple examples of some of your most successful partnerships or ones that have been recurring? Give some wineries some context on those.
2: Yeah. So I've had a really great success with Jadot. Jadot, they always are willing to do like a giveaway. And so they're willing to partner with me. They'll give me a budget and say, listen, here's a budget we'll give you for a giveaway to your followers. You can pick whatever you want to give away within the budget and you post it on your feed and you know we'll send you the wine. We'll, you know They pay for the post and they're also covering the giveaway. And honestly, people love giveaways. Like giveaways, I've generated so many followers from doing a great giveaway. Like people will follow you for Zaltos. Like that is a fact. So give away some Zaltos and you will get like, at least a hundred followers in a day. So that has been a really, really great reoccurring partnership. They're fantastic partners. I think I hit 20K a while back. You know, I wanted to celebrate it. I just reached out to them and was like, hey, I reached 20K. Like can we partner up on something? Like, can we give something away? And they're willing to do it. I've always been very successful with them. They're also open to, you know, we did a live, we did posts, we've done different things too. So they're willing to really work with whatever you feel like you want to do. And I've also had some really great success with partnering with regions. So like Loire Valley wines, Vino you know, Verde wines, Discover Bojo, all of those accounts. Those accounts are great because you get to really dive into not just like this one bottle of wine, but you're really talking about like the scope of the region so you, you know, you get to talk about a couple different wines and and what makes them special and and those have always been really, really great partnerships. And I think people like that too.
0: Great. And those are mostly focused, I think, around building brand awareness. Correct. For the region or for Jado, which is highly distributed everywhere. Have you had any successful partnerships where they were trying to get something specific, like whether it's followers for their account or actually sales or signups or something like that?
2: A lot of the times with the giveaway partnerships, you know, it's like the rules are follow me, follow them. And so, I think they definitely get a lot of followers from those kinds of things. I honestly try and steer away from the partnerships where they want to just generate numbers. I get it. It's a business. You need to sell wine. You're leveraging an audience to sell your wine. And I totally get that. But for me, Instagram is more of an awareness thing. It's more of drawing awareness to your brand. So maybe if you're at the store and you see a bottle and you're like, oh, I remember I just saw that on somebody's account. Like, oh, she said it was good. I think it's more of generating that awareness. And so if somebody says, listen, my bottom line here is like, I want to make sure that this many subscriptions are you know, sold from this post. Like, that's just something that I just don't guarantee. I don't want to disappoint anybody. I don't know. I can't track that kind of thing. I mean, some people say they can, but I honestly don't know if they can either. Listen, I, I am in wine sales already. I, I don't need, you know, that extra added stress of you know making sure people sign up for your wine club. I just it's not for me. So I'm happy to promote if I truly believe in your product and I like it, you know, try it first you know, we can partner and, you know, you get some new followers and you get somebody that does end up going to their local store and buying it.
1: So I'm curious, you're now at Chateau de pomard and you've mentioned uh, Love Jadeau. Now that you're at Chateau de pomard is there any rules around what you're allowed to post or not post on your personal account or is there, are those totally decoupled? Can you still do things with other Burgundy producers or other Noir producers?
2: You know, I'm totally separate. So with Chateau de Pomard, I'm an independent contractor. So I have My own blog is like totally separate from what I do with the Chateau. However, of course, there are some non-compete when it comes to direct competitors on my blog. Love Jadeau, the page, you know, I made sure since they were such great partners, you know, I made sure that that wasn't going to be an issue and it, you know, it wasn't. So that's good. But to be honest, this is kind of funny in a way. Burgundy, I feel like, is one of the one regions that doesn't really utilize influencers at all. So it hasn't really come up as a problem. (laughs) And I don't really know if they ever will. I mean, I just don't know. I mean, maybe someday, but they don't seem to, at this time, really, really go for that kind of marketing yet. So more to come. We'll see.
0: Yeah. And can we get a sense just of like, what are the demographics of your following?
2: My demographics are almost quite even. I have, I believe it's 55% men and then 45 women. So it's pretty much there, uh, which are great. And then the only thing that I notice are that the women are a little bit younger. So the demographics of the women are between 25 and 35. And then the demographics of the men are between 35 and 45. So that's like a little bit different, but I'm quite happy that it's Almost even. I think it's good that I am able to appeal to you know both sides quite evenly. And yeah, mostly from the U.S. and the top cities, I think are New York, Paris, London.
1: Have you looked by country? If you were to go by, obviously U.S. Would be the number one. I'm just curious on. Uh, there's a country that makes it into all of our.
2: <laughs> okay, wait.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I need to check this out. United States, Italy. France, UK, Brazil.
1: Brazil. <laughs> Brazil. <Yeah>. <laughs> Brazil. <laughs> Apparently, a very uh, wine loving country.
2: Yeah. It's, and that's a very hilarious. large
1: population as well. So, that's, uh... so, I was curious if we could talk a little bit about content strategy. You mentioned your demographic in terms of tailoring your, your content for your audience. And in terms of, uh, are there things that you. Are doing that you know work? Are you experimenting a lot with different content types? like, Or do you have like a playbook essentially for your content posts?
2: So I've been quite lax this summer. I feel like with the transition to the new job, I haven't been super creative lately. I've just been kind of like focusing elsewhere a little bit just while I get acclimated to like the new market and everything. But, you know, I have to be in the photo It's better if it's a closer up photo than if I'm further away, which is very odd, but just something I've picked up. And honestly, I feel like the wine really does matter for me. Like, I know that, like, for a lot of other girls, it's just like, you know, they're all beautiful. And it's like, of course, you like the photo. But, like, for me, if I post like a legit wine, like, say I posted a 2000, you know, whatever, Quintessa. I would get more likes on that than if I just posted, you know, like maybe just like a village Beaujolais. I feel like a lot of my followers, especially the men, I feel like are in the industry. And so you get those followers that actually really know their producers. And so I think that does matter. I think the wine that I'm posting, the bottle matters, but I definitely have to be in photo and I d- it definitely has to be close up. It's better when I'm obviously dressed in something trendy and um, you know my hair is done and curl maybe. I mean, not like the bun that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> and also if I'm wearing cool shoes, because I feel like a lot of people know me from my shoe collection. So, oh. <laughs> and it's been a long time since I've really shown some cool shoes. So I need to get back on that train.
1: Uh, the shoe one uh, crossover is uh, is an yeah. interesting uh... Interesting world. I've never dabbled in the shoe-wine crossover.
2: Well, you know, I can give you some pointers if you need.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So I actually watch most of your stories because, you know, obviously the the algorithm, who knows when someone I know's post will actually come up into the feed. You're very candid and very active on stories. And I noticed that's something, I'm not sure if that's just quarantine or, I mean, I think you've always been since they have come out, but do you notice that you get certain people who follow you or just follow the story content versus the post content? I know there's not really a metric to track that, but...
2: Yeah, I think that there are definitely a good amount of followers that definitely always follow my stories. It's hard for me to know all the time if they're really following the posts, but I definitely will get like those reaction emojis a lot from like the same people all the time. So I know that they're constantly watching my stories and maybe I don't see them really comment on my posts. So it's an interesting crossover there, but yeah. I like to be candid on my stories on my feed. Sometimes I can be like, you know, a wine nerd and, you know, sometimes I'm just in the city, I'm doing something cool, which is great. And, you know, I feel like everybody always showcases their like best moments on the feed, but like life is also not about those moments. So I like to really show it's like some of my day to day. If I'm frustrated about like yesterday, I was getting heated about my Bordeaux studies and like why things have to be called a certain way to be white or red. You know, I was like on stories, like venting about it. So I like to just be real on my stories and just, you know, not that I'm not real on my feed, but like I said, just the day-to-day, because I think people really relate to just like, hey, like I'm a wine nerd, but I also have like a regular work, you know, I have other stuff going on. I have a husband, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, people also like to connect to just the regular stuff too.
1: Right. Makes sense. You mentioned WCT and your Chelsea Wine Tasting Group, and you mentioned also French Wine Scholar. You've done a different education. How has that helped you in your blogging and actually connect with wineries? Has that made a demonstrable difference?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the more wine education you have, the absolute, I mean without a question, it adds so much value to all of the content, whether it's a post or a story or a blog post or whatever it is. You know, when I first started Grape I didn't have any formal training at all. And so if I go back to the beginning and read what I was writing in those posts, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like embarrassing. So I think having that formal education really provides so much value to your content. I mean, people know and people will call you out on your BS if you are spewing it. So it's, you know, if you really are serious about this and you want to connect with wineries and you want to, you know, introduce wines and wine regions to your audience, you have to know what you're talking about. And so the WSET has definitely given me all the tools. I mean, obviously I'm not a diploma. I would love to start that eventually, but it's a huge commitment as you guys, I'm sure are familiar. However, just the jump from two to three is probably, that was a huge jump. and It's a big jump. And that was so rewarding and gave me a whole different view into the wine world. And I think the more educated the blogger is, the more value they are going to bring to your product on Instagram.
0: Sadly, I think education fades, at least in my brain it does. So, you know, I studied a bunch of stuff for the MW and all that. And then like I did a post on Corks, and I was like, wait, uh, how is this made? Let me look this <laughs> up. Like, like, real like a, quick. What is that tree? I'm like, wait, I think this is a this is a bleached natural cork and an unbleached. But I'm like, wait, do they actually use bleach anymore? I'm not sure because that'll impact TCA. So I don't think they do. So let me change the words. <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah. it's almost
2: like should we be retested every so many years to make hope, sure that not. we're keeping up?
1: <laughs> that would not go well for their numbers. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs>
0: So how frequently do you do sponsorships and paid posts with different wineries or wine brands?
2: I do them quite often. I mean, not a ton. I'll do maybe a couple a month. I think over quarantine, I was actually doing a lot, which was great. I think that a lot of the brands that had a great marketing budget for events had all this money that they were like, well, now we can't host this event. You know, in New York, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if it's the same in San Francisco, I mean, I would think maybe yes. But in New York, especially, brands throw events all the time. And so Mm -hmm. I would be going to like three or four events per week. Like I'd be exhausted at work. I'd be coming with my eyes like half open. (laughs) But And so all of that budget for events basically was like, well, you know... Why don't we partner on? You know, we were going to do this event, but we're not doing it. So let's partner on a post or let's partner on a live. I think the lives really took off. As you guys know, I would open up my phone and there'd be like 25 lives going on at once. I was like one of them. I definitely think during quarantine, the partnerships really picked up. And, you know, since then, I've done a few here and there. I just did one few weeks ago, actually just did two a few weeks ago, I worked with a champagne brand and a wine app, which is quite cool. So yeah, I mean, they trickle in. I also think that I personally am being a bit more picky choosy about what I'm doing. And so I'm realizing that, you know, while I again, am getting assimilated with my new job that you know, these things take time, I need to try the product, I need to like get my husband to take the photo, edit the photo, you know, come up with the caption, do all the stuff. And so I'm definitely being like, listen, here's my price, take it or leave it. And, you know, I will of course work with people, especially if it's a new partnership and they're interested in doing, you know, working together more in the future. Of course, I'll work with people. Let's see you know what we come up with. But I've been a little bit more like, hey, take it or leave it as of late. So,
1: yeah. Thank you for all this great information. As we wrap up every episode, we try to ask our guests two questions. What do you think is a lasting trend in a fizzling fad? So a lasting trend, something that will sustain and keep going for years to come in a fizzling fad, something that's popular now, but you don't think has a staying power in relation to the wine industry or wine influencers or wine social media?
2: Yeah, great, great question. So I think that in the wine industry in general and the digital space, I think that a lasting trend are the the Zoom seminars. So, you know, they're advertised all over Instagram and I think that what you get with a Zoom seminar is you get more visuals than opposed to a live. I kind of like, I'm really over the lives. And some people are like, Oh, lives are a lasting trend. I personally don't think they are. I think people are over them. Like they might click into it and then check out really fast. But I think that the actual zoom seminars where you can go on and you get a whole presentation without having to leave your home, like, these are the kinds of presentations I would get when I would go to Morel or I would go into the city and go to a fabulous wine tasting. I'm really getting that at home with these Zoom things. And I think that as the weather gets colder and Lord knows what's going to happen, I think that that's something that's going to stay.
1: And in terms of a fizzling fad?
2: Fizzling fad our lives to me. Instagram lives, lives. Okay,
1: got it. awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and yeah, all thanks. your insights.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys so much. It's been so much fun.
1: Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers.